Hello and welcome to Map Bites, episode 174. I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co-host Mike Thomas. In this episode, we're fueling the drive to subscribe with radioactive cream cakes. Don't ask. Welcome back, and if you're new, great to have you with us, and welcome to the Map Bites family. Map Bites is a tech podcast where we share our thoughts on tech news, Apple Kit, and so much more. We also review apps, and as IT professionals, we share both our love for hardware and software. We're a quirky show, and you can check out just how quirky via the newbies guide to MacBytes hosted at macbytes.co.uk. Don't miss it. There are some absolute classics there. Potentially the biggest news of the week, Wonderlust. But we have a whole section dedicated to that later in the show, which means we can get on with what usually ends up being the tech fails of the week. Shall we start with Ryanair? Yes, again. The great Ryanair ticket printing extortion continues. Hot on the heels of the £110 charge for printing two tickets at the airport, Ryanair strike again. This time, a family of three charged £165 for printing three tickets at the airport. Now, this one is potentially even worse in terms of customer service. The flight was very early, earlier than the opening of Ryanair's customer service. Yes, I was surprised they actually have a customer services department as well. But the Ryanair representative couldn't understand what was going on. The family had their paperwork. The father explained he'd done the remote check-in one month before the flight. A month? Is there just me that thinks that's crazy? I still don't get the check-in before you even arrive at the airport thing. But never mind. Doubtless, that is just me. Anyway, he had done the check-in thing. He had the paperwork. They were in the computer. But the QR code scanners were having none of it. The paperwork just wouldn't scan. Now, since customer services wasn't open, they were given two options. Missing their flight and talking to customer services when they finally rocked up. And then taking the next flight or paying £165 for the rep to reprint the paperwork and then claiming back that amount after the event. Now, since the next flight was three days away, I wondered about that as well. Three days away, they opted to pay and then reclaim. Needless to say, once Ryanair had their money, getting it back wasn't going to prove easy. And it didn't. It was excuse after excuse. Starting with, it was a computer glitch. And that's why they decided to pay and reclaim it back later. If you're told by an employee that that's the situation, you should be able to rely on that being the truth. Ryanair denied it was their computer at fault. I'm assuming this was once customer services were open. When that didn't wash, they followed up with claiming that he had not verified his identity. Later, they accepted that this was wrong. They then claimed that the family had unchecked themselves that they'd cancelled the tickets themselves, according to Ryanair. Finally, they referred the family to Aviation ADR, the Airline Dispute Resolution Scheme. That sounds sort of like the fox looking after the hen house. Let's see how it pans out. Do you know, this would all stop instantly if people didn't insist on using Ryanair. It might be cheap, but is it worth the grief? I well recall collecting my parents and grandmother from the airport. I think this was back in 1993. My grandmother had emotionally blackmailed my parents into taking her to Ireland for a holiday. And I quote, before I close my eyes. As an aside, she lived for another six years. As we waited at arrivals, those coming through the gate looked like they'd been dragged through a hedge backwards. They were fresh off flights from Spain and France, where air traffic control were on strike. It turned out that they'd spent the best part of three days in the airport. As I said to Mike, they looked like they needed a good holiday. Why put yourself through it? The moral of the story, Ryanair, if you insist on using tech, at least make sure it works. Behind every computer error is an idiot human doing something wrong. 
Now, while I was reading about that, I discovered something I had inexplicably missed from last week. Now, this was pointed to because obviously we were reading about Ryanair and their exorbitant charges to print pieces of paper. Well, apparently it was Ryanair's AGM. And climate protesters targeted the owner of Ryanair, Michael O'Leary. With what? Cream cakes. Yes, he was pied with cream cakes. My first thought? Well, probably better than the food available on the planes. He took it in his stride, claiming the publicity was worth it. I just hope that the protesters charged him £55 per cake for the privilege. Oh, let's move on. Oh, we're still talking about greed. Mm. A rumour was doing the rounds that if you uploaded a 30 second clip to Spotify and listened to it, an inordinate amount of times I would suspect for this to work, that you would generate enough income to retire. Really? Just how gullible are people? Yes, I know. That's a rhetorical question. Spotify were quick to dispel this as an urban myth. No truth in it whatsoever. Which is kind of a given to me. If that worked, wouldn't it work with YouTube? Oh, people, really? Just greed, greed, greed. Also, Google had problems. Mm, antitrust woes. Google have been accused of rigging the market to secure dominant search monopoly in the biggest US antitrust trial for years. This is a legal battle with the federal government lawyers, and it came just a week after Google was celebrating the 25th birthday. It is set to be the biggest trial in almost two decades. The outcome of the case could have repercussions for the rest of the tech industry. No result is actually expected until next year, and there were no details of what sanctions could be imposed if Google lose the battle. Oh, it's like deja vu. I'm old enough to remember the Microsoft antitrust thing. Wasn't, didn't that end where they needed to break themselves into multiple little units? Oh, it's a long time ago, but I'm sure it did. And then we have Data Breach of the Week. I'm thinking Data Breach of the Week needs its own dedicated section and potentially its own stinger. Oh, hang on. I think we've got one we could repurpose. Another police issue, but this time Greater Manchester Police. Another outsourcing fiasco. Another digital ID debacle. The company is actually called Digital ID and they make ID cards for Greater Manchester Police. They were the target of a ransomware attack. They assure everyone they reacted quickly. I wonder what that means. Probably shutting the stable door after the horse has escaped. Before there's an issue. How about ensuring that data security is your number one concern? The investigation is, and I quote, ongoing. The Assistant Chief Constable of Greater Manchester Police said, At this stage, it is not believed the data included financial information. What a strange thing to say. Money can be replaced. Lives can't. I wonder who it'll be next week. Mm, watch this space. I feel I've saved the best for last with this one. Sales of iPhone 12 were halted in France after a regulator detected too much electromagnetic radiation emanating from the device. Apple was told to fix the issue. That is bad enough, but it was soon followed by reports that Apple had advised its own tech support team not to provide any information when customers asked about radiation risks. The official line was, and I quote, we have nothing to share makes a change, doesn't it? They were further told to remind customers that phones couldn't be returned more than two weeks after purchase. The latest is that Apple are intending to fix the issue with a software update. It seems all of life's problems can be fixed with a software update. So many questions about this. Who found the increased leak? When did they find it? Why is it only France that's doing something about this? And if a software update can fix a radiation leak, could a software update restore my battery to 100% functionality? All questions I could ask Timmy when he finally agrees to join us here at MacBytes headquarters for our cosy little chat. Mm, I'll let you know how that goes. 
The Great Apple Event of September 2023. We can't not mention the virtue signalling with Mother Nature. In fact, virtue signalling ran right through the whole event. Timmy bin dipping for raw materials for our new toys. Smaller packaging. But what was the worst thing he tried to sell me? Shipping via sea. 95% less environmentally damaging, he crowed. And doubtless taking 95% longer to get here. Although he didn't mention this, must have slipped his mind. My research informs me it's 95% cheaper to ship by sea as well. Mm. Shipping on a slow boat from China. Now, since I haven't taken a flight since 1984, nor have I left the house in over three and a half years, I consider myself environmentally friendly enough. So if I choose to purchase anything from his exorbitantly expensive range of toys, I expect them delivered to my door in record time by Harrier Jump Jet, if necessary. I am so over the constant green flag waving. And the Mother Nature sketch was really quite weird. I understood what they were trying to do, which was to showcase their environmental credentials. But Mother Nature seemed a bit grumpy, disputing claims, harassing presenters and just being prickly throughout. Then there was the stare down with Timmy before telling them she'd be back next year. If Timmy thought that was a stare down, I'd hate to see him try and deal with you. I thought that myself, actually. The whole thing was quite bizarre. I didn't really appreciate the bit about planting forests. Why are you telling your paying customers that part of the profits are being used to plant trees all over the place? Because those customers gave you that profit in the first place. So you could actually reduce the price of the toys. Instead of which you're collecting money and then spending it on what you want. Did anybody ask me if it was all right to do that? I don't think so. Anyway, let's get on with the toys. The Apple Watch. An incremental update. Uh, the double tap felt like a way to show us what Timmy's goggles could bring. Unless, of course, you've fallen for the fine woven straps. And then it was more than an incremental update. I'd happily buy a watch without a strap. Just think how much you could shrink the box then, Timmy. So it really depended on us making the decision to upgrade just for the battery. Mm. And even then, you know, my battery's reasonable. I mean, it's not as good as when it was new, but it's reasonable. So I'd only be purchasing in case the battery went in the next year. I decided to hold out for next year's model. I know that's shocking, isn't it? But hey, it's not broken. Nor am I a watch snob. It tells the time. It unlocks my Mac Studio. It does everything I need. So it gets to stay. I can upgrade to the latest watch OS. Oh, that'll be fun, won't it? No, not done that yet. But what about you, Mike? Mine's a Series 3. It can't take the latest OS, and I was going to update, but my existing watch got a last-minute reprieve. More on that later. Now, of course, that wasn't the end of Apple Watch Saga. No, because there was an Apple Watch Ultra, the Series 2. Were we tempted by that instead? No. I don't do much in the way of scuba diving. I think it would be a bit of an indulgent waste. So we skipped it. So straight on to the iPhone 15. Uh, hmm. I want to say nice improvements, but there th th were tiny little incremental things. You know, nothing revolutionary. Oh, unless we discuss those hideously insipid colours. Other than that, I think they were exactly what we expected. And I'm not sure how many people were interested in that because all anybody wanted to think about was the iPhone 15 Pro and what they'd done with the camera. So the Pro model was where it was at with the new action switch and new material and improved camera. Same prices as last year. We last got a phone in 2019. That was when Petrol Head Tony delivered it, if you recall. So we were virtually guaranteed to be getting a new phone this year. Were we tempted by the iPhone 15 Pro? Well, hmm, if we were going to part with cash, this was the toy to tempt us. So the burning question was, did we buy? No. What do you mean, no? I mean, no. 
we decided to leave it another year. For crying out loud. You can wait, can't you? I guess so. Once more with feeling. I guess so, since you haven't had a new body yourself since iPods were cool. Given how much green flag waving there was, there wasn't really much time for talking about iOS 17, iPadOS 17, or watchOS 10. Maybe they came to the wise conclusion that if all you intended to talk about was new stickers, we'd rather you didn't bother. But endless rabbiting about how bright your nits are doesn't exactly sell the sizzle, does it? I want to know what new features it has. I want to know how existing features have been improved. I want to know how it will improve my life. Not listen to you droning on about your nits, like they're your legacy or something. So, no new kit, boards! Monday was the big day. iOS 17 and iPad OS release day. I think there was the watch as well, but like I said, I hadn't bothered. Yes, I totally forgot about that. What? Actually, that was probably wise. Calendar access, don't get me going. It seems for the last 13 years, calendars have not been as secure on iPad as Timmy would like. Yes, folks. Cancel or allow comes to iOS and iPadOS. Now, since I've got so many apps with access to my calendars and each request was posed twice as well, just in case I changed my mind in the nanosecond it took me to confirm access the first time, there's 15 minutes I'll never get back. Oh, it took an age. Talking of time, I had a widget showing a clock. This is on my iPad. Notice I said a clock and not the time. No, because it was firmly stuck at 10 minutes past 10. No amount of cajoling would move it. This is after my update. I ended up having to delete it and then start again. Then there was Apple Pay. I have no need for Apple Pay on my iPad, so I skipped it during setup. But a red badge was going to nag me all the way to Christmas if I didn't go into the configuration of Apple Pay and tell it for a second time that I didn't want to set it up. I did that through gritted teeth. You know, that sounds like Tesco's. Since about three weeks ago, you hit checkout. This is on the website, obviously not in the store. And up pops a pop-up. See our latest offers with two buttons, skip and see offers. I hit skip. Same message pops up again. I hit skip. Same message pops up again. I hit skip. Six times I had to hit skip before it took me to the next stage of the checkout. And no, it wasn't a blip. As I said, it's happened every time, so it must be a new feature. Heaven help us. Don't tell Timmy, or he'll make the next calendar permission a six-step wonder. Then there was all the send to Apple invitations I received. Very kind of you. But not happening, Timmy. If you want my data for training your toys, come and get it yourself during the interview you've been running from for the last five years. Other than that, you can whistle for it. So, having done my iPad, did I update my phone? <laughs> Are you kidding? Not on day one, that's for certain. I can do without an iPad should it all go wrong, but not my iPhone so it'll just have to wait. Talking of waiting, we now know that macOS Sonoma will be with us on the 26th of September. Are we installing? <laughs> no, we're working on the not broken principle and sagely scheduling it for sometime in late 2024. That's the earliest. Then there was the USB-C AirPods. No innovation with the AirPods themselves, just compliance with EU rules. Much gnashing of teeth from those wanting to purchase just a new case for their existing kit. Now, I'm going to be honest here. I didn't even know that was a thing. But apparently you can pay to replace either the left or right earbud or the case itself. But the gnashing of teeth was because the USB-C case wasn't currently available. Why waste your money? It's just a different charging port. Anyway. Doing my due diligence, I headed off to Apple to check out this service. USB-C was available as an option for $99. I'm assuming that that didn't actually include the cable. Did I bother? Are you kidding? I could have five pairs of my preferred replacement earbuds for that price. 
Now, they do ship already with a USB-C port and a cable and spare rubber end caps. They also have a rather nice and useful charging indicator on the front. And the battery lasts for weeks. I don't really care how something charges, as long as it does actually charge. Why do people get giddy about this? It is completely beyond me. But I did find something to smile about. I know, you're surprised, aren't you? So was I. Good to see options for iCloud with more storage. Now, the price is eye-watering, but still, if you do need more storage, it's good that it's available as an option. Not something offered by Google without a million hoops to jump through, nor Dropbox. So I have three terabytes on Dropbox, which sounds a lot, and I'm certainly not using it all. But in my mind, it's like if I start putting data of a certain category on Dropbox and then I run out of space, I'll have to move everything. So I think it would be nice if you could buy extra storage on Dropbox. And Google, I have no idea what they're doing. No idea at all. Google One gives you up to two terabytes. But mine is an enterprise account, so I have one terabyte, but I pay the same as other people do for two terabytes. Yes, I don't know how that works either. But just out of curiosity, I thought, right, if I decided to put more on Google, how much is extra storage? Well, about 15 pages later, I have no idea. It doesn't seem to be an option, at least not with an enterprise account. So with Apple leading the way, hopefully Google and Dropbox will realise that if people do want more storage, they'll go with iCloud because it's available and they will do the same. So nice one, Apple. Appreciate that. Am I going to pay for more iCloud storage? No way. I have more than enough. I went for the two terabyte option and really all that's on there is a handful of files data wise. Mainly it's backups. So when I'm backing up a lot of iPads and several phones, it uses quite a bit of data. I wouldn't get away with less than the two terabytes. Let's put it like that. Oh, and then we had the fun of pre-orders. Well, we didn't, obviously, but, you know, we sat back with some popcorn and watched. It went as well as expected. In other words, it was the usual farce. Now, one commentator explained that they'd overslept by an hour, thus arriving late for pre-orders. They then went on to explain how they'd wanted a white one, but only the blue one was available for launch day collection. Now, note I said collection, not delivery. That ship had firmly sailed on a slow boat from China. They then went off into a long diatribe, bemoaning the fact that there are never enough devices available at launch. But then went on to explain how they couldn't make their mind up. So they'd ordered two different models, fully intending to return the one that they decided they didn't want. What a complete moppet. That's abusing the system in the worst way and making at least one less phone available for someone else on launch day. Folks doing that should be sin-binned from ordering their next phone, whenever that is. No wonder these devices are so expensive, when people think they're entitled to order as many as they like and return what they don't want. What? I'm never going to think that's a good idea. But what did you order? Do let us know, so we can enjoy the experience vicariously. Last week we talked about Forklift and their switch to subscription pricing. It was complicated enough without looking at all the variations that we're now faced with. We saved that for this week. The App Store was originally enabling for devs, giving them access to every iPhone user on the planet. I particularly remember the way that Steve Jobs explained it, because back when he announced the iPhone 3G and the App Store was coming to the phone, he needed to explain that to both developers and users. And that's how he did it giving developers access to every iPhone user on the planet, giving iPhone users access to every app that was available for iPhone via the App Store. Now, it was priceless for a developer and all for only 30% of the cost of their app. But so many years on, and many developers don't want to pay Apple their 30% anymore. Is that greed? Greed on the developer's part to want to keep more of the money? Or are they just looking for a fair reward for their work? Opinions will vary greatly. And before you feel that Apple are the archangels here, let's not forget that Apple are the biggest enablers of subscriptions that there are, and they want their 30%. Subscriptions make sense where there's an ongoing cost to the developer. So examples of that for me are Obsidian Sync, 
and cloud services. And I have quite a few cloud services. It's like the distinction between a car and the petrol. You know when you buy a car that the fuel is going to be an ongoing cost. Now, continued development is often quoted as the good reason for the subscription model. Devs don't have to sit on new features waiting for a collection of them to become large enough to warrant a completely new version. It's touted as win-win for the users and the developers. And while this might be true with some apps, it is most definitely not a universal experience. So a few months ago, I was looking at an app called Highlights, and it's a PDF app. It's available for macOS and iOS. And when I first considered the app, it's a subscription. It's a freemium model, actually. So I can download it and use it for free. But if I want the advanced features, I need to subscribe. And that's approximately £27 a year. I checked the version history of the app and I found that there had been no update for 15 months. And that was such a long time with a subscription app, I wondered if it was actually abandonware. Eventually, there was an update and recently some feature updates too. But I'm still sceptical. Once you've paid, you have no guarantee of continuing development. While one of the main arguments put forward by the developers is that subscriptions act as an incentive to develop, and I'm assuming by that they mean on a continuing basis, the opposite is just as true. If they have to innovate to earn the purchase of a new version, that's just as much of an incentive, if not more so. Whatever you think about subscriptions, they are hard to avoid these days. And there's a lot of variations in how they operate. So here are six different types of subscriptions that I've come across. Number one, don't pay, don't play. Now, this is the standard original subscription model. Think Adobe Creative Cloud. Oh, that kicked it off, didn't it? While you subscribe, you can use the app. Once you're not subscribed, you can't use the app. At least it's simple. It's harsh, though. Sketch is the app that annoyed me most with that. They weren't a subscription-based app. Then they were. They were one of the first. The older non-subscription version stopped working. So I don't have access to any of the files I created when I was using it. It felt like my files were being held hostage to a subscription. So that was number one, don't pay, don't play. At number two, we have don't pay, but you can still play. A better approach if access to your generated content is important. And also the forklift approach and BusyCal and several others. You buy a license and you receive updates for a set period of time. After that date, you can carry on using the last version released before your free updates expired. At least here, there's no imperative to keep paying. You could choose to take a payment holiday. Carry on using the version you have until such time as you decide you want any new features introduced after your subscription ended. We did that with BusyCal. Eventually, we got a good deal and we took out another 18-month subscription. The advantage for the user here is that there's no interruption in service. You just carry on using the app. Number three, a maintenance contract. Now, this is the approach favoured by TechSmith for both Camtasia and Snagit. Made more palatable by the maintenance contract being cost effective. But don't get attached to that. TechSmith recently informed users that the price of the maintenance agreements would be increasing. We have to assume by more than a comfortable amount or else we wouldn't have needed warning. My last maintenance payment was for Camtasia a good few months ago. I have no idea by what percentage the maintenance contract price will be increasing. I'll find out when my Snagit maintenance comes up for renewal in a few weeks, less than two months, put it like that. Now, the maintenance contract with Snagit does include training courses with TechSmith Academy which are detailed and extensive. They provide certificates for those courses that you can add to your LinkedIn profile. But not all companies using the maintenance contract mode provide any extras. Another maintenance contract we have is for Wirecast. And the incentive to keep paying a maintenance contract is if you don't, then you need to buy another version. If we use Wirecast as an example, that is over a thousand pounds. 
whereas the maintenance contract is 120. So I might as well keep paying it because if I don't, it's going to cost me 10 times as much. <laughs> There's an incentive right there. So that was maintenance contracts. Right, number four, Russian dolls. With this method, the new version ships with the previous version inside it. If you pay, you get to use the new version. If you don't pay, you continue to use the previous version. And that includes any features that you paid for. This is the route that GoodNotes have taken. It's a good idea, but I wonder how much storage space is required for that approach. If every app did that, Apple would be in absolute heaven, as users would need to buy devices with much more storage. And I'm pretty confident the difference between a 256 gig iPhone and a 512 iPhone is about £200. So that could prove expensive in other ways. And you have no control over it. If you do pay for the new version, the old version's still inside it kicking around anyway. Number five, paying for keeps. This isn't quite what it sounds like. Don't get giddy. Um, it's the approach. It's the approach that Agenda have taken. And it's quite unique. If you stop paying, you can continue to use the app and all the features that are considered to be premium that were released during the time you were paying. I haven't seen that approach used much at all, but it's certainly more generous than the standard don't pay, don't play approach. They get to keep you as a user and as such, they can inform you of the new features and try and tempt you into another year's subscription. And you get to continue using the app, but not only the app's free options, but also the premium features that were released while you were subscribing. At number six, we have the hybrid option. Now, Hindenburg Pro 2 uses this. There are many issues surrounding Hindenburg Pro 2 in the community. But here we're focusing on the licensing options. Hybrid in terms of two completely different options being available. There is a lifetime license for version two. They're calling it the perpetual license. And I would say that is the standard old school licensing. Buy it and you can carry on using it. The second type of license is a subscription license. Now, the lifetime perpetual license is £340. That will give you access to all future versions up to 2.99. The subscription options are many and varied. The most cost effective option is £11 a month. That does not include any transcription time, but you are able to buy transcription time as required. For £13 a month, you have 20 hours of subscription included. For £26 a month, you have 50 hours of transcription included. Now, for transcription hours on the perpetual license, you buy them as required if you need them. So, which do you go for? Well, it's cheaper for the subscription, especially if you stop using the app before you've paid as much as for the perpetual license. But as soon as you stop paying a subscription, you lose the ability to edit your existing files. We did think about it carefully, but paid for the perpetual license in the end. As an existing version 1 customer, we did get a discount on the standard £340, which reduced it to 255 Now, if version 3 arrives within two and a half years, we will have paid more than if we'd taken the subscription. But there are two circumstances in which we win. Firstly, if the price of the subscription rises within that time, we will have paid less than the subscription. Number two. If version three takes longer than two and a half years to be released, we will also win and have paid less than the subscription. Our rationale for going for the perpetual license was based on a few factors. Version two took 14 years to arrive. The company started in 2009 with version one. Version two was released in early 2023. I bought version one in 2018. Hence, I had five years use for my initial investment. But it just shows how complicated it is to make a decision. And in fact, over the weekend, it got even worse. The way the license works, it must be able to contact the mothership to confirm its status. 
For perpetual licenses, I believe that that is once every 60 days. So even though I've paid for a perpetual license, it still needs to contact the mothership, just not quite as frequently. For monthly subscriptions, it needs to be contacting the mothership once a month. Now, I'm in a Facebook group for Hindenburg users, and I read a post that should terrify us all. And this one was only the first issue. Now, background first. Hindenburg decided to change their payment processing service. This shouldn't be a big deal. And it certainly isn't if you've paid for a perpetual licence. Thankfully, you aren't as yet expected to pay again. The rest of the story could be relevant, though. Now, I assume those affected got some notification of the change of payment processor. This person was happily editing away in Hindenburg. They tried to save the file and a message popped up stating that the Hindenburg's licence was paused. Almost immediately, that status changed to expired. The account page showed the licence as active. But it was only after showing the licence as expired that the user received notification of the change to the payment processor. At this stage, no charge had been attempted from the credit card company. So they asked for help from Hindenburg. Since this was the weekend, I didn't rate their chances. I was spot on, nothing from Hindenburg. By Monday, the same user was still looking for assistance. Three days on and they had heard nothing. At this stage, the payment for the next month had been taken. So that was processed on the 15th, which was Friday. But as of late Monday, they still can't save files. Now, the second issue to arise out of the change of payment processing service then became apparent. The previous payment processing service billed in Canadian dollars to a particular user. The new payment processing service bills in US dollars, which for this user saw their monthly charge increase by $4. The $4 being an increase of 25% over their previous charge. A charge that is there because the new payment processor doesn't support as many currencies as the original provider did. Why should the customer pay for that? There's also another gotcha in subscription land. You risk the developer increasing their base prices. And this has happened with Fantastical. The subscription increased from £38.99 a year to £60 a year back in December. And once you're invested, they have you, don't they? You're at their mercy. So it's either pay up or leave and don't use the app. So there you have it, a whole range of options out there for subscriptions. It's a minefield, isn't it? What do you think? Do you like subscriptions? Do you load them? We'd love to hear your thoughts on this, so do let us know. More tech, fun and games this week at MacMite's headquarters. This time, it was audio players. If you were with us at the Wonderlust MacBytes Live, you might have noticed that we had a different audio player on the homepage of MacBytes FM. But then again, nothing was mentioned in the chat. So maybe nobody noticed. Or maybe everyone was distracted by the talk of coloured braided cables. Earlier last week, we received an email from the company that provides the streaming service for MacBytes FM. They had discovered some issues with the service that we use for streaming, which we already knew about. You'd gone to MacBytes FM's homepage and the player said station offline. It was about 2am UK time, so it was doubtful anyone would be listening. The next day, I logged a support ticket with the company because you're not allowed to. We all know how you and support tickets end, don't we? About two hours later, normal service was resumed, but that incident led to them doing some further investigation, and it came to light that the latest version of the broadcast software was unstable. This email, by the way, came the night before Wonderlust. Talk about timing. So, not wanting to let you lovely MacBiters down and risk losing connectivity during the live show, we put our backup plan into operation. The backup plan, if you're wondering, was to reconfigure the audio player. I logged into the back end of WordPress, opened the homepage of MacBytes FM, and then I remembered the horror of it all. There were seven, yes, seven audio players embedded in the page. If you're wondering why you don't see seven players, it's because six of them are hidden. Only one of them is visible at any one time. 
So, why are there seven audio players embedded in a WordPress page? It's called the belt and braces approach, which I think is a UK expression. I think in the US they say belt and suspenders. Basically, where you do something extra to make sure that something is safe or works properly. So if one of the players stops working for whatever reason, it can be deactivated on the page and another one can be activated. Not all players are equal and each player has a different look and feel. The one we normally use has a little image and displays the title of what's currently being broadcast, which will either be a live broadcast or a previous map bytes or a previous marooned. Hence the comment about nobody noticing. Somebody usually does and passes comment in the chat. On further investigation, it turned out that two of those players weren't even hooked up to the MapBytes broadcasting service. They were configured to be playing content from Brooklyn's 196. For any new listeners, that was another radio station that Elaine and I founded and managed, but which is no longer broadcasting live content and hasn't been for about 18 months. That would have made for interesting listening if I'd made that player live. So I took the opportunity to rationalise the number of players, removing the two Brooklyn's ones and making copious notes. Yes, making notes, that's a novelty for me. Future me will thank past me, or whatever the saying is. 30 minutes later, when I should have been safely tucked up in bed, I was done. We did a quick test, and once we were convinced it was working, I retired to bed keeping everything crossed that the following day it would be all right on the night. Spoiler alert, it was. Having taken the decision to stick with what we have, tech-wise, that didn't mean we couldn't treat ourselves and our tech to some new toys of their own. Having said that, why were we in the market for a watch charger? We weren't. I was in the market for a new watch. Mine had struggled to charge for months. Sometimes it was taking eight hours to charge. And when it was charged, it didn't keep its charge for long. Sounded odd to me. I requisitioned said watch and charged it on my charger. It charged as fast as mine does. So it wasn't looking like the watch. It was looking like at least two DOF chargers. Back when we got our first Apple Watch in September 2016, replacement cables were between 30 to £35. And at that price, we didn't bother with a spare. I did eventually buy one extra for emergencies during a Black Friday sale. But that was over a year later. All of which meant the four cables in the house must be between five to seven years old. Mine being the youngest. Having said that, apart from the replacement cable, the magnetic part of which was bigger than the others, neither of us knew which cable was which. I headed off to hunt down a cost-effective alternative. I was surprised that there were so many alternatives, much more wallet-friendly than a few years ago as well. And not just cables either, but complete charging stands with integrated magnetic chargers, none of the usual cable origami to squeeze a cable into a stand. I randomly selected one that looked okay, by which I mean I selected a white one. It had a non-slip base, it included the charging cable and it was USB-C. Cost effective too, it was eleven ninety nine, reduced from £14.40. To be honest, it was worth a punt. It said it supported series 2 to 9, including the Ultra, and while we did go for the white one, it also is available in black, dark blue, light blue, red, and of course, the obligatory pink. It arrived the next day. It included everything that we needed. The magnetic charger was actually part of the stand. So it's, it wasn't one of these assemble it yourself things like Lego. Uh, it, so it was simply a case of plugging in the, a standard USB-C cable into the back of it and it was up and running. I grabbed Mike's watch again. We only had an hour before I headed off to present a session and it went from 36% to 86% within 50 minutes and it was still at 30% the following day, almost 24 hours later. So it revived Mike's watch like a defibrillator. We took the decision to replace all of the Apple cables in the house with a few more of these stands. Problem solved. Keep that old tech running. Last week, somebody pinged me at work and said, 
I've been given a budget of £4,000 for a new computer. Should I get a Mac or a PC? My first thought was, what the actual? When I get a new laptop, I'll be lucky to get one worth a quarter of that. Anyway, knowing this person as I do, and knowing the sort of work they do, I immediately said, stick with Windows. But it does make you wonder why this person, who hasn't used a Mac for at least 30 years, and when they did, hated every minute of it, was even considering a Mac for work. It took me back about seven or eight years to when the company first started offering Macs to new joiners and those whose existing laptop was due to be replaced. As I said in last week's show, that's usually every three or four years. I remember speaking to the guy who was leading the Mac rollout project. His view was you shouldn't even consider a Mac if, one, you need a Windows machine to do your job. That goes without saying. And two, you've got no experience of using a Mac. We were talking about Mac training and what he'd like to see in the courses. Yes, I know, I was, at the time, the training team's lead trainer on Mac. It should have been my decision as to what to include in the training. But you have to engage with the project lead. That's the protocol. Anyway, he said, we're not providing basic training on Mac. Anyone who wants a Mac should already be familiar with at least how to switch it on and navigate around the OS interface. When it came to it, the reality, of course, was somewhat different. People were showing up on the training with zero experience of using a Mac because they wanted to see if it was suitable for them. I guess that's fair enough. Where else were they going to get that information? An Apple store? Maybe. But with respect to those who work there, they're not going to know the ins and outs of what works and what doesn't. As an example, someone posted on Workplace a few weeks ago that they'd just got a work Mac and they'd gone into Excel and couldn't find PowerPivot, which they use a lot. So I replied explaining that PowerPivot is not supported on the Mac. Oh well, back to Windows, was her reply. Now, do you really see the blue shirts or whatever colour they wear these days in the Apple Store or even somebody from the business team at Apple being able to answer that question? No. Me neither. Did I want a company supplied Mac? Well, if I was delivering Mac training, I had to have one. But if I wasn't, if I was just a user, of course I did. I wanted to be down with the cool kids. I wanted the cachet of opening the lid at work and people seeing the Apple logo. Macs were cool. PCs were boring. Remember those Mac versus PC ads? I think they got inside my brain and probably inside the brains of many other users. But what about all those company standard apps that don't work on a Mac? Or do work on a Mac, but have critical missing functionality? Microsoft Project, Visio, Outlook, latterly Power BI, and of course, my beloved Excel. Easy, install Parallels and have the best of both worlds. Except VMs are not supported at work. A combination of technology, support and licensing, I believe. For some, having a Mac remains a viable option. But that sum is a very small percentage of employees. For the majority, if you need to get your work done, forget the coolness and stick with Windows. We're going live again on Friday with MacBytes After Hours. It's show 209. We have a great show planned. More requests from you good people too, including default folder X which will include a sneak peek at the very latest beta of that app. You won't want to miss it. It's Friday, nine o'clock UK time, and all you need to do is go to youtube.com slash Elaine Giles, and the live show will be right in front of you. Well, that's it for this episode of MacBytes. As always, we'd love to hear from you. Please send your questions, comments and queries by email to the crew at macbytes.co.uk or use the contact form on the website. We also have a very active Slack chat room that's open 24-7. Simply go to macbytes.co.uk slash Slack and join the conversation. You can follow MacBytes on Twitter at twitter.com slash MacBytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytesiri. So until next time, this has been Elaine and Mike bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. You're depressed, aren't you? Of course I am. You were hoping for a new body, weren't you? Of course I was. It's not too late. Isn't it? 
No it isn't, we just need to persuade them of the value of the new iPhones. How are we going to do that? I'm sure we can be persuasive. Well, I'm thinking if Timmy didn't persuade them, how can we? Well, not subjecting them to a five-minute sketch with Mother Nature showboating their green credentials is probably a start. Yes, I thought he overplayed his hand with that. Right, here are the slides where they detailed all the snazzy new features. What should I do with those? Pick the very best features and share them in a firm and assertive way. Oh dear me, I don't think this is going to work. Why ever not? Have you seen the features they are crowing about? Of course I have, there's some good stuff in there. Go on then, pick one. Apple Watch Ultra has 3000 nits. Really? Can you imagine her reaction if I mentioned that? Good point, I'd skip that one if I were you. What else have you got? You can dive to 40 meters. I'm thrilled. It also has an elevation range of minus 500 meters to 9000 meters. You do realize they haven't left the house in over three and a half years, don't you? Good point, so they probably won't be interested in precision finding then either. I doubt it, it's hard to lose anything when it doesn't go anywhere. HomePod integration probably won't swing it either. Given we don't actually have a HomePod, I seriously doubt it. Crash detection and roadside assistance are both really useful. They certainly are, if you ever leave the house. Good point. Well, and I'm struggling here, there is the new double tap gesture on the watch. I think she's already created a new gesture of her own, and I fear it means we're stuffed this year. I've got it. You have? I do. What is it? Colors. Colors? Yes, there's a lovely pink one. You have clearly lost your little silicon mind.